All right, we're going to just start uh, by just, we're going to just read this passage. And we're going to read, we're going to actually read the entire chapter of six. We're just going to read through it once, and then after that, we're going to just dive into it, and we're going to get through all of six today. We kind of did a four, like a beginning to it last week, and then we're going to continue it now. So I'll actually just read off of the screen. Um, so it says, this is all of Romans 6, 1 through 23. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now remember, chapter 5 ended by saying how amazing grace is. So Paul says, okay, so what are people going to say to that? Okay, then should we just keep sinning because that way grace can be even more amazing? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. No longer has, uh, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12 let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, uh, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. Now, we read all that last week. We're going to read nine more verses. I know it's a lot, but then we're just going to have it have it behind us. Verse 15 says, what then? He comes back again. What do we do then? Are, are we to sin because we're no longer uh, under law but under grace? No, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. For the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we started last week's message 
basically the same way as we're going to start this week's message because this is absolutely crucial. We've got to grasp this right from the beginning. What Paul is talking about when he talks about resurrection life and, then, and what Paul's talking about in regards to baptism, which we're going to talk on today, he's directly, this is a direct connection to answering the question that he asks at the beginning of this chapter, which is this, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Now, today we're going to have to venture a little bit out of Romans uh, in order to get a more full grasp, sort of, of Paul's theology on baptism, uh, and, and just so that we can understand exactly how, uh, when we're, what he, how what he's saying actually comes to life for us, because he says that we, we're baptized into Jesus, and he says that when that happens, we're actually joining in a death like Jesus's, and because of that, we can also be raised from the water a new person because of that. So I want to remind you as we go into this thing that death... Without resurrection, it's just an end. It's, it's, just, it's just the end. It's just the end of a story that probably needed to end. If your sin is laid to rest, it probably needed to be. That's a death that probably needed to happen. That's the end of a story that needed to end. But because Jesus also raised from the dead, a new story began. Meaning that a new work in you can now be done. Not only because the person that you once were was laid to rest with God, but also because the person that he is now can come alive in you today. And truthfully, if you miss that one concept, then really you miss everything. All right, so here's the great struggle of Romans 6. This is the moral struggle. Do we just keep sinning because there's always grace? Do we just continue because grace will cover a multitude of sins? And let's talk about how that's just not, let it never be, shall it never be. The death of Jesus and this correlation reveals the very love of God. And, and like he said, if we miss that, if we miss that, we're almost rejecting the love of God. We are, we're rejecting the love of God. In the Messiah, what is true of the Messiah, that he's died and resurrection, resurrected and made whole and made new, and that he's whole, that is true of you too. Yeah. So don't miss that today because this is the status that Paul keeps talking about. The status that you've been forgiven, you've been made whole, you've been made in the image of Christ, all of that status. And this is this calculated status. This isn't a status that we earn. This isn't a status that we do a thing to get. This is just calculated for you. It is precise and it is exact. Um, so stand on that resurrected ground, yeah. and we'll talk about what that looks like and what that means in the context of baptism. The big question, do we continue to sin that grace may abound? The big answer, baptism. Baptism. Doesn't make sense yet, does it? All right, so let's make sense. The death and resurrection of Jesus, this gospel, and this idea that Jesus was resurrected transforms your covenant status into that status of redeemed, right? Okay, so who we are as grace reigns. So we're going to look at this, the reign of sin and the reign of grace. And this is sort of the theme that Paul has in chapter 6. So we're going to just do all of 6 because it's just like sin, grace, sin, grace, sin, grace. And he sort of does this back and forth banter. We should have probably given you like a chart, but we'll, uh, we will talk about what that looks like. Um, this is the new reality. This is... You have this reality of sin reigning over you. In the Old Testament, we see how sin just reigns, and they just yeah. can't get out from under sin. And then all of a sudden, with Jesus, it inaugurates this thing. It puts into motion, and it really 
sets it in stone, this reign of grace. And how do we live in that? And what does that even mean? And how can we proclaim that? Let's talk about that. So as we look at six, there's a couple things I just want to point out. This idea that we, um, I'm just going to jump through some verses and just say some key words so you can start to hear what this is talking about. Um, Starting for uh, walk in newness of life. His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. That old self, he's talking about the self that sin reigned over. That's Adam. So we've talked about Adam and how Adam sinned and Adam and Eve sinned and now we all live under this, this, this status that Adam has that you just can't overcome sin. So now this old self as it's crucified, and don't take that too far, um, and we'll talk about that still. As we live under the new self, this is you've been adopted and now you have the status of Jesus. So this is the adoption and the, the Adam and the old self, the old Adam, the new Adam, That's some of that terminology. That's what we're talking about. Um, For he who died is free from sin. That's the status of Jesus that you can claim. We shall also live with him. Um, He was raised from the dead and is never to die again. He died to sin once and for all. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, present yourselves to God. Sin shall not be a master over you. This This is the rule, the reign of sin, is no more. And then it goes on talking about slavery. Sin shall not be a master over you, uh, for you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so now this is the reign of grace being introduced. Obey either sin, resulting in death, or obedience, resulting in righteousness. Uh, Slaves of righteousness, speaking in human terms. He's talking about this slavery term that we can understand, and this is Exodus, which we'll get to right here in a second. So those are just some of the key things. This don't be a slave to sin. Don't let sin reign over your life. And this is now a choice because now we have the reign of grace that Jesus brought to our lives. Um, baptism. Here's baptism. <laughs> Exodus 14, 17 through 31. We'll look at that in a second if you want to turn to Exodus 14. It's this beautiful metaphor of this reign of sin and the reign of grace and how God literally brought the, the Red Sea to destroy the reign of sin and bring about our lives to be free, to allow the reign of grace to be over our lives. So in the context of baptism, we're going to jump to Exodus. If you're not familiar with the story, Jacob will give you the rundown. Well, so the story of Exodus, the, obviously the pinnacle of that moment is the Exodus. The Exodus when Israel is free. So Israel are slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Uh, Israel is an oppressive, uh, tyrannical rule. They enslave these people. They have basically no lives. And they're under Egypt. And then finally, after 430 years, after uh, the 10 plagues and ultimately the Passover, uh, which happened, which we talked about earlier in this series, uh, Pharaoh released them. Okay, so, and so Pharaoh released Israel. Israel leaves from Egypt under the rain, and, it's, and it seems beautiful. But of course, that story doesn't end there because, of course, Pharaoh then changes his mind. He says, hey, you know what? I, I want to go back after them. So, they, so then Egypt starts following after Israel, chasing them down. And so Israel's panicking. Like, God brought them out, but of course, they don't trust him yet. So they panic. So they come to the Red Sea. Most of you are familiar with the story. They come to this, this, this enormous sea. They can't cross it. They don't know what to do. And then, of course, God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, raise up the staff. Of course, they go through it. The, the, what happens is the sea literally parts. The, the ocean, or the, the, the sea parts, and all of Israel goes through the waters. And then, of course, 
Egypt gets here and they see it and they see this parted sea and they say, oh, they're doing it, we'll do it. So they start doing it too. But the moment that all of Israel was through, same thing, raises staff. And then all of a sudden, once again, the water, all of the water now goes down on the Egyptians. And the Egyptian army is killed. They are no more. So then, of course, the Israelites, they, God's proven very, very faithful to them. It should seem like, okay, God's on your side. He's got your backs. They still freak out. They get mad because they don't have food. So then God provides for them. And he says, okay, fine. I'll provide for you manna. So he sends them manna every single day. They have food. And then there's no water. So they're fighting about water. And they're saying, God, you're not taking care of us. We have no water. So then God brings them to this, the rock. It is the rock at Moab. And, and, what, and he says, Moses, strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, water will pour out. So Moses strikes the rock and water pours out, giving Israel water. All right, all the water, right? Are you thirsty yet? <laughs> just to pee? I can't say that from the pulpit, but I just did. <laughs> all the water. The water represents so many things. It represents life. It represents cleansing. We won't talk about that today, but you can give your own metaphor to it. Let the Spirit talk to you about what that water represents. But this is the, the continuing through the waters. We're going to talk about what that looks like when they walk through the water and then what happens is a baptism of the Israelites in Exodus. Um, they're not slaves anymore. The water crashes over the enemy. Consider the enemy's sin. Okay, just think about your sin and think about your life in this metaphor, okay? Because this is just a beautiful picture that God has given us. And as the water crashes over and destroys the enemy, there literally is no more enemy. It's gone. And you're free. They're free from this slavery. They were slaves, and now they're free to just live their lives. But they still live as slaves, and they still long for that slave life. And that is so true of our sin and what we do. So let's take a look at that. If you've opened to Exodus 14, um, I don't have it up there. I just have the numbers uh, so you can listen. Because I'm going to jump around just a little bit. Um, so it kind of starts really bizarre that in 17, 14, 17, God says, I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. What is about to happen? Because this is about to declare that God is God. <laughs> that he's the most faithful father you could ever ask for. That he has you in mind. And he wants the best for you. He wants wholeness. Then Moses stretched out his hand, verse 21, over the sea. He made a proclamation. The Egyptians, this 23, the Egyptians took up the pursuit. And all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. So he basically turned their hearts and told them to go after them because he had a demonstration that he wanted to do. Uh, when Moses stretched out his hand, this is really important, we'll see this again, over the waters and returned, it returned and it covered the chariots. So as the Egyptians took up the pursuit, 24, uh, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. So they went into this dry land in the middle and then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians. 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. He obeyed. And the sea returned to its normal state. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. Do you see what is happening here? Consider the chariots, the horsemen, your sin. 
Just take the metaphor and consider your authority over sin. The reign of sin is gone. Under the reign of grace, you have the authority over your sin to stretch out your hand and ask for the baptism. Ask for the sea to wash over and completely annihilate all of your sin. You have been given the authority. And that is, Paul is alluding to this, and we'll talk more about how this is really significant for him. The authority over sin is yours. Do you get that? It's yours. So now we live under the authority, the reign of grace, not the reign of sin. And every ounce of sin, not even one of them remained. That is what God has for you, ladies and gentlemen. This morning, tomorrow, next year, the end of your life, for eternity. And it's a battle. It is a battle that we are going to continue to fight. But as you walk through the dry sea and and the red seas behind you and a wall around you and you escape the other side, reach out your hand and take authority over that. Verse 31, when Israel saw, this is our why, the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. The authority is ours. All we have to do is claim that authority, stretch out your hand and ask for the baptism. This is the baptism that we, Adam, is left under in the bottom of that sea and all that sin and you come out out of it. And here you remain protected and guarded and free. Don't live like you are slaves anymore. And that's this whole idea. We're not going to sin because we're under this reign of grace. That's not like, this is what we say. Okay, we're not going to sin anymore. You don't have to. This is something that the Israelites struggled with, that they kind of couldn't. And we'll talk about that some more. (laughs) He's got some more stuff coming. If you've come through these waters of the Red Sea, don't live under Pharaoh. Don't yield your eyes and your hands and your mouth and the things that you say, the things that you hear, the things that you feed yourself with, the things that you feast your eyes on, the things that you do with your hands. Don't let those be part of sin. Make the choice and say, you know what? This is over. This is over. I have grace, and I'm going to live in that grace. I have baptism, and I'm going to live free, outside of that baptism. This is the after of the baptism. This is where we're headed. Verse 13 and uh, 19 talk about those, um, those weapons of unrighteousness. This, this is the sin. This, this is the struggle between the reign of sin and the reign of grace, and we live so often like we're still under that the hand of Pharaoh, the reign of sin. We so often live under that. And Paul is just trying to tell us it's over. Yeah. It's been washed away. And that is by the blood of Jesus. And that's, that's the gospel. That is the beautiful gospel. Um, this idea that you become slaves to the one whom you obey. He's using this slave terminology just so we can understand in the context of Exodus. Yeah. Okay, so this is why we're going to this, because he's like, I'm using human terminology because you guys understand what it was like to be slaves, okay? So don't get trapped on this slave thing that like, I'm a slave and I have to do everything you say of grace. Yeah, kind of, but it's this metaphor. So that's why we're telling you this right now. So I hope that makes a little more sense. Um, and when we get to verse 31, it's like, this is our why. Then, then they saw. 
They saw what happened, and they said, that's God. He reigns over everything. He is God over every area of my life. He's the one true God. He's been identified, and I'm going to proclaim that he reigns. Okay, so this is the the reign. All this reign language, it's very kingdom, king, because this is what they, so try and understand that, that it's power and control in your life. That's that's what we want. This lordship is this, I've I've given everything, I've submitted completely to this. Um, And live like it. Live like you've, you've, you've been under the rule of the reign of grace. And let it rule over your life. When they see, they will believe. And that is our mission. You're initiated. This baptism, they say, is kind of this initiation in the early church. It was initiation into the church. Be baptized and now you're, you're of one mission. of us. Yeah, of and it's, 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 this is you declaring, I am going to live under this grace and I'm not going to live under sin. Yeah. You look really cute in your hat. I like it a lot. What? Okay. Um, you've, been, you've been inaugurated by baptism into the mission of God. Be part of that mission. Live your life whole. And as people see that, as they see that sin doesn't grip you, it, they might not understand what sin is or who Jesus is, but they'll start to see your life. And this is what we want to do at the table, guys. Yeah. We want to sit at the table, at the reconciliation table, this garden. We want people to rest in the presence of God and start to grow. And then we want that to, to leap into their lives, who we've become under Jesus. And I, we want them to, to look them in the face and, and have dignity because there's a human being, human connection that they can have. That, that There is no alienation. There is no marginalization. There is no separation. We are just loving them because we want them to see who Jesus is. And as we do that, they will see and they will believe because they will see your life is whole, that you've been baptized, that sin doesn't reign over you anymore. Right. Do you see where we're going with this? How the center of all of this is the mission of God. Everything that we do here, everything that Paul's talking about, this is the mission. There has to be a why. It can't just be because I want to be whole. That's awesome, but God wants everyone to be whole. And you are part of that. Can't get out of it. So live whole. The mission of God. Okay, so about two weeks ago we were talking to you guys about, um, just a reminder, for two weeks ago we talked about how... uh, there are four levels uh, that Jews would read the Torah through. Typically, um, I'm really all literature, but particularly the Torah is Peshat, Ramiz, Darash, and Sud. Uh, so basically, it's the thing that's plainly or clearly going on. Uh, there's the thing that they're hinting at in the story that's pointing us in a certain direction uh, of where we're ultimately going and what's ultimately going on. Then the third is more like the way it takes shape in our lives. It's the moral of the story. It's how, what can we get out of this ourselves? And then four, of course, is suit is the hidden uh, meaning or the secret meaning. Now, obviously, here in Exodus, we get plenty of hints of, of remiss. And then we also get, uh, there's also like that sort of mystical uh, suit, that hidden secret Meaning. So the suit here, guys, is, is the, the mission of God for reconciliation and restoration of all of humanity. That goes from Genesis to Revelation, and if you can't find that, you're reading it wrong. Yeah, you, can, you should always be able to find the mission of God the mission within, of God. within all of the writings. So in this particular story, you, do, you, get that, you get the hidden meaning as well, and that's basically what she just kind of walked you through. Now, most likely, at least if you're like me and you're somewhat of a skeptic, some of the things you're hearing, you're thinking, okay, baptism armies, all that, that's just a little crazy. That's probably, you're maybe just making that up, 
right? That's how it almost, it almost sounds like. But what is crazy as that may sound to you, this is 100% what Paul believed. And I'll show you, because he says it plainly in 1 Corinthians 10. If you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 8, this is what it says. Now, once again, 1 Corinthians 10 is kind of the same thing of what Paul does in Romans 4 when he gives a bit of a midrash, as we talked about, on on Abraham's story. And this would be the equivalent of what that would be, the equivalent of like a midrash before there was one uh, on this story of Exodus. So I'm going to read this just section by section for you, and then we're going uh, going to look at it really, really closely just for a time. So first of all, verse uh, verse 1 and 2. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth now, and he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, church in Corinth, dear brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So catch this. Remember, like she said, baptism is about dedicating yourselves to a new way and empowering you for a new mission, right? That's what she talked about. Like we, we now have a mission. So when Jesus Christ himself was baptized, Jesus Christ didn't have any sin, but Jesus Christ was literally baptized into his mission, right? He now stepped into what God has called him to do here on earth. And Paul says here that it was our fathers that were with Moses who went through that same thing. Now, the church in Corinth were not primarily Jews, but these were the Jews' fathers. But Paul's saying, you are all adopted into this family. These are all of your fathers. We are all part of the very same family. Thus, we have been given the very same mission that Moses had and he gave to Israel. So that's what, was, that's, what that's saying there. So, then, so, so God says they were baptized into that mission in the sea. When God, of course, did the only what God can do, he's the only one that could have redeemed them like that. Uh, and he basically, what he did was he what? He redefined their entire lives in that one moment. He, he, did, he did everything. But now look at this next line. This is, this is blowing my mind. It says, it says in verse three, um, all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, which we talked about that. He hit the rock, the drink would come out. For the rock that they drank from, for, for, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, but look at this line, and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Paul says here that the rock that Moses hit, that water then came out of, was Messiah, was the anointed one, was Jesus. What is that all about? We give you kind of our, our, our theory. We, we've studied it quite a bit. It's a kind of controversial passage because it's very strange, but confuses a lot of people. But the, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning that the Jesus that we see has always existed. The Jesus that we see, this manifestation of, he was the same before we saw him as he was when we saw him. He's just always been that way. That's always been who Jesus is. Uh, Both John and Peter actually say that Jesus Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. Which, when you read that, you know, of course, okay, Jesus Christ was crucified sometime in the early first century. Like, we know exactly, basically, when he was crucified. So, right, we have like a timestamp for that. See, we see things in human timelines, and I can't get super into this right now, but we see things in human timelines when in reality, God is ultimately, what he's doing is he's revealing his goodness to us on a timeline that we can see. 
because we couldn't, there would be another way for us to grasp it. So he's revealing things to us on a human timeline so that we can have a tangible grasp of the reality that has always been true. It's another sermon. But the point of that is this, and this is what I get out of this. Is that the love of God has always been showered on his people in all the ways that they needed it in those moments. And in that moment in the desert, in order for Israel to see the love of God, they needed a rock that Moses could hit, and then when he would hit it, the water would just come out of it. Right? They needed that. But notice this word. It says, followed them. That rock followed them. Now, this is very interesting. You guys might not think this is as interesting as me because I, like, I'm a bit of a nerd about this stuff. But Paul says that they actually, it, it followed them. And again, this gets really midrashy, and that's not even a word, but it's, it's it, but at the end, see, at the end of the journey, if you get to Numbers, you get to the end of um, Numbers, in Numbers 20, we get a similar moment at the end before they enter the promised land. So they've been wandering for 40 years, and in this moment, once again, that you get the rock. And it's, a, it's called the rock. It doesn't say he hit a rock. He said it's the rock. It's the, the rock um, in, a, in, a, in Exodus. It says the rock at Horeb. And then they, he says strike the rock. In Numbers it says they gather before this rock. So Paul's saying here that the rock followed them. Now, you don't get that anywhere else in the Old Testament. But there was a Jewish, uh, there was a Jewish legend that essentially said that once they got this rock, when God gave them this rock, that rock followed them. And it provided water the entire time because they're always in the desert, just like manna fell every day, which we get the manna part written, but we don't get the rock part. Now, again, you're like, well, is that just a legend? Well, apparently not because Paul says that's what it was. So Paul believed the legend. He believed it existed, and he actually believed it to be true. He said this rock followed them everywhere that they went. This rock was their constant source of water. In other words, according to Paul, Israel was with Jesus the entire time they were in the wilderness. Now that's pretty cool. Through all the trials, through all the struggles, through everything they've gone through that we all know it didn't go so well for them, through all of that, Jesus was with them. But watch this, okay? They were baptized, so their past was literally washed away. They were given a mission. There was no more enemy. There was no more sin. It was gone. There was no Egypt to go back to. But what got in their way? You know the story before Paul even tells it. We've talked about it so many times in this journey. They got in their own way. The, way, the word that Paul uses is he uses the word idols and the word sexual immorality. He says this. He says, nevertheless, this is so key. For most of them, God was not pleased. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were overthrown. Now these things took place as examples for us. See, this, this is the soothe thing. It's like this is here, but it's pointing you to something else. This was an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Then he says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Now, first of all, catch this line in verse 6. I mentioned a second ago. He says the same thing in verse 11. He says, these stories are here to give us an example of how to live and how not to live. That's why it exists. So Paul, here in Corinthians, he's using the story of the Exodus as a way of showing us you can be baptized into the plan that God has for your life Jesus can come into your life. He himself can even walk with you through that entire journey and you can still get in the way of that plan. 
Look at what it got to for them. Look at what got in the way of who they were created to be. He says idol worship. Of course, the way we could view that is they, they made themselves God. They built a golden calf instead of, instead of worshiping God. For, they, they removed God. They said, God, we can do this our own way. We don't have to do this your way. We, we, so in fact, they, when they make the golden calf, they start worshiping it saying, this is the gods that brought us out of Israel, the very thing that God said in the Ten Commandments. I'm the one who brought you out. Remember that. So he says, these are the gods. So basically, they, they removed God from their, from their lives, right? Do, do you remember, remember when we focused on Romans 1, for those of you who have been with us through that entire journey? How does that huge list start in Romans 1? The wrath of God, right? The, the, we, we explain how that word also means characters. The character of God that cannot allow evil to reign in our world forever. The character of God is poured out against ungodliness and the word is injustice. The, the root word is injustice. So in the story of Exodus, we get this amazing image of God dealing swiftly with injustice. How he deals with the Egyptians who have, who have oppressed and who have marginalized and who have held down Israel for so long. But then, after God pulls Israel through that, after he proves that he can redeem them, we still get this picture of ungodliness. We get this picture of Israel choosing their own way, making their own idols, making their own gods, living their lives as if God does not matter, if God is not a factor. And when they removed God, just like we talked about in Romans 1, their worlds collapsed. Their worlds collapsed when they removed God. For them, idolatry, it leads to a world in which they think that they can do anything that they want. And it ended uh, Paul mentions, and when he, the way he describes it is uh, 23,000 of them fell. It, he's echoing Numbers 14 when Israel falls, and there's this image of their corpses being spread across the entire wilderness. Church, this is why I struggle so much with tradition. As important as traditions can be, and I, I don't want to knock them, I think they matter, but I've seen a whole lot of people get baptized, but never get on board with the mission of God. I've seen a lot of people get dunked, but then never live that calling, never live that resurrected life, never get on board with what God has called them to be in our world. And they think that because they did the ritual, now they're in the right. And I've been trying to figure out the best way to say this. I'm going to say it to you in two different ways. Because baptism is all about death to who you once were and then rising again. Just because you die, though, doesn't mean that you're going to live a resurrected life. It's very possible, and in fact, we see this image of how possible and reality is, it's very possible to allow the cross to be true in your life, but not the resurrection. It's, it's possible to allow Jesus to wash away your sins, but to never form you into the person you're supposed to be and never allow your life to be who you're supposed to be for your friends, for your family, for your community, for our neighbors. And you might be justified, right? But maybe, yes, God declared you to be righteous. He spoke that over your life. But you're not living a life of glory like we've been talking about. See, in the early church, to be baptized, it meant you dropped everything. And you were rebuilding your entire life around this new idea, around this new thing. Like last week, we looked at Luke 9. In Luke 9, Jesus takes these three different people who want to follow him, and he convinces them not to. 
He's like, the, the, first, the one that we talked about was we talked about, uh, how he says the foxes, the foxes and birds have a place to, to lay their head, right? They have a place, to, he has no place to lay his head. They have a place for reproduction. We're talking about how Jesus is the head of the church there. And how he's like, listen, you, you don't understand what I'm asking of you. You have to do what, you have to be a resemblance of me. You have to symbolize, you, you live the life that I lived. Another thing that he says uh, in that moment to somebody else is the guy asks if he can bury his father first. And Jesus is like, well, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, the point of that is not to say, hey, you shouldn't have a funeral for your father who's passed away. That's not what it's saying. The point is that everything your life used to be, it's not who you are anymore. It is not who you are anymore. And if you are joining this body, your life has to act in accordance with the head of the body, Jesus And what Jesus asks and what Jesus models, that's the way we need to live our lives now. That's who you are now. Your identity is now found in who he is. Not just because God sees you that way, but also because you're going to become an embodiment of it if you're living a resurrected life. And what Paul's saying here in Romans is he's saying, okay, okay, who you once were, you actually died with Christ. That person died with Christ. That the sea fell down on that. There it does not exist anymore. But if you died with him, that also means you can resurrect with him. That also means that you can change your life now and that means it is time to actually live out what he's done for you. See for Israel, everything for Israel was always about who they were who they used to be. They lived in bondage. Then the moment they're free, they're right back in bondage. They want to go back to bondage. We talked about the four cups a few, uh, of Passover a few months ago. And one of those cups is the cup of deliverance, right? And I can't get into all that right now, but the question you ask with the cup of deliverance is, okay, Israel, Israel, you're out of Egypt now, but how do we get Egypt out of you? Because Egypt's already dead. Egypt is already gone. Yet Israel, this entire time, they keep trying to go back to Egypt. Have you walked through the Red Sea? And have you watched it collapse behind you and destroy everything that was not the wholeness of God? Have you done that? And how are you living That is a really good question to ask yourself every single day this week. Ask yourself, how have I denied God in the wholeness that he has for me? And how have I obeyed God and embraced that rule of grace, that reign of grace in my life? How have I moved forward? Baptism is a representation. It is not something you have to do, but it is something you really, really should do. If you've never been baptized in this place, and you love Jesus, and you want to move forward, be baptized. Do the thing. There's something to it. That there's no actual power in that, but the Spirit can do anything He wants through anything in our church. I'm wearing a hat today. We prayed with, and I worshiped with a hat on. I'm sorry if that's heresy to you. If that is in the Bible, please come talk to me. (laughs) Women should wear a hood covering, right? I kid. Guys, God can do anything he wants through anything he wants. It's an incredible imagery. Let's use it. Let's embrace it. If you've been baptized in this place and you're not living like it, there is a transformation of every part of us, our minds, our hearts, our hands, our souls. Everything should be transformed by the rule and the reign of grace, not sin. 
And what does that move you toward? The mission of God. And what is that mission? It is not only for your individual wholeness, but your individual wholeness affects everyone around you. If we can just look for a second, verse 20, 21, 22, 20, uh, the end of this. Guys, it's, it's 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. This is the whole self. We'll talk about this in chapter 12, but this is the whole self. And the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is everything. We have to do this. We have to live this or we cannot be part of the mission of God. Because the mission of God, do you remember? They saw it. They will be honored by the sin being destroyed. God will be honored. And everyone will look and say, there's a God that does this, there's a God that does that, there's a God that does this, and say, wait a second. That God does all of it. And he can have authority in my whole life, in my finances, in my relationships, in my children, in my home, in absolute, in my car, in my job, everything, everything the light touches. God has his hand over your life. Live like it. Live like the sea has crashed behind you. Don't live like you're still a slave. Don't live like there's a God who does this and you have to please him. Don't live like there's a God who does this and you have to please him. No, 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 no. One God, and he is a really, really good father. Dads are the fun guy. They're the fun ones in the house. They make the rules because they want you to live your best life. Because they want you happy. And God is an amazing father. These aren't just rules. These rules guide us. There's some talk about what this, the law is this, this, Paul references this, um, slave in the family and this slave was not in charge of education but that it was his responsibility and he uses this to correlate with the law and this slave would not teach the children anything but the slave would would take the children to school to make sure they got to the place where they could be educated and Paul parallels that with the law and he says the law is this slave just so you can understand the parallel the law is this slave and it will take you to the place where you can be whole, where you can be redeemed and restored. And then all of humanity, the community around you, your children and your spouse, your relationships, the community around you. And at some point, we are part of the entire cosmos being restored. We are on a mission. Live like it. Live restored. Show up at the table and have human connection with another human who is just broken. And let them know you're going to look them in the face. And they haven't been looked in the face in years. And all they want is someone to listen to their voice and respond. And that's everything to them. That's all they need to know that God is God and that there's humanity for them, that there's dignity in a meal. Show up. Be whole. Be the things to people. I tell you what, we got to be real careful saying, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future. That is not the life that Jesus lived. I am sorry. Do you see the people that were around the table for Jesus? 
Do you see the people, the tax collectors, the people everyone hated? Because he was showing them what wholeness looks like. Can you be, can you let the sea crash and live a whole life in the middle of a lot of brokenness? Yes, you can. And that's the reign of grace. Live it in the middle of that brokenness because that is how God is bringing wholeness to his creation through you, through your life. I hope you feel prompted a little to live among really broken people and be really whole and continue to live that. Our habits of our hearts, commit to that righteousness. Commit to that. No, sin, this is Grace's job. I will be whole. Just say no. This is kind of theory, but it's a theory that is yours. And I want you to start to believe it because that's where it starts. It's initiated by faith. Look back at your formal life. Look at it. Look at the, the sin and the enemy behind you just chasing you when you think you're surrounded. And God says, no, 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 no. I will surround you and crashes the ocean over all the things in your formal life that destroyed you. Complete destruction. You were not headed to a good place. And this is good. This is a good thing. You can live free now. Can you do that? That's what this end, this is what he wraps it up with. Look at your formal life. This destruction, it degrades your humanness. It degrades what you were made for. But you have been set free from sin. You are enslaved to God. If it's slavery, you're enslaved to God. You're obligated to that in all the best ways to be genuinely human. Do you want to be genuinely human? Do you want to be transformed into wholeness? Do you want to live a baptized life? Do you want to live free? You can. Make that choice. Talk about it with God. You are free. You are free from sin. You are free from the reign of sin to discover humanity. This wholeness, that's the point. That's the mission. I'll say it over and over. I'll say it a million times. Wholeness is yours. It's everyone's around us. We are to be renewed humans, a renewed humanity through Jesus Christ. Begin by representing God and being genuinely human. This is worship. Present your whole self, and that is obedience. Every category of your life under that reign of grace. For the death, Romans 6, 10 and 11, this is the center of everything we just studied, everything we just read. For the death, he, Jesus, died to sin once for all. Every single one of you, once. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the beginning of renewal. This is the center of renewal. This is the center of the mission of God. Grip this and you will have wholeness and you will see wholeness all around you like a virus. It will spread and it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful. And T. Wright says this, when we sin, it doesn't require extra love from God. It is the same overflowing, generous love 
by which creation came into being in the first place. Have you ever had somebody pray healing over you? God made your heart. He can make it whole. Every area, guys, every single area, he made finances. He can make them whole. He made your relationships and your human connection. He can and he will make them whole. He made your physical body. He can and he will make it whole. There will be a day when we are complete and we are headed that way, head there. Don't live in sin and live in brokenness. Live under the reign of grace. If you want that wholeness and you want that transformation and you want to remember what God did in your baptism or you want to be baptized, if you want to be baptized, please talk to us. We'll do it. We have a baptismal back there. It's kind of weird. So maybe we'll go to the river. Who knows? But we'll do it. Baptism is important.